Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Dina Gashman is the author of So Sorry for Your Loss, How I Learned to Live with Grief and Other Grave Concerns. Dina is an award-winning journalist, Pulitzer Center grantee, and a frequent contributor to the New York Times, Vox, Texas Monthly, and more. She's a New York Times best-selling ghostwriter and the author of Brokenomics, 50 Ways to Live the Dream on a Dime. She lives near Austin, Texas with her husband and son. Welcome, Dina. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss So Sorry for Your Loss, How I Learned to Live with Grief and Other Grave Concerns. Thank you for having me. My gosh. First of all, I know I shouldn't say I'm sorry for your loss, <laughs> hence the title, but 
your writing about your mom and your sister was so poignant and beautiful. And I am sorry. And I am in the kingdom of the fellow grief people. Okay. So just to, you know, give you the secret handshake on that from the start, (laughs) but you know, you can really, you can feel the love so vibrantly through the story, really, really feel it. So anyway, thank you for writing about it. Thank you for saying that. Um, And I'm sorry you're in this kingdom. (laughs) It's not fun. No one wants to be here. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. You know, I just, I feel like there's so many of us out there, obviously. And you do kind of have that secret handshake with people when, when you realize that they have deep grief in their life. And so, you know, I think it's, there's amazing grief books. And I felt like maybe with our story, there's something else to add to that shelf. Yes. Oh my gosh. Actually, can I read a quote? Cause you said you wrote something about this specifically Sure. and you wrote about it in the beginning in the context of your friend, Rachel, whose brother had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And now you kind of reconnected with her in a different level. Mm-hmm. You said, grief isn't a language you learn slowly. There is no Duolingo for this. When it happens, it's as if a secret linguistic portal rips open and suddenly there you are with an entirely new way of communicating and existing in the world. You have a psychic secret handshake with others who have gone through painful loss. I'm not as scared to ask Rachel questions anymore because I know that grief isn't something you should wrap up and store away like a fragile glass figurine. It will and should become part of you, maybe even a tough, unbreakable part of you. But that realization did not happen on day one. On day one, I tried to tuck my feelings away because I had a wedding shower to go to. Yes, I did. (laughs) Perfect occasion when you, that was when I found out my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And it was right before the the shower that my husband's uh, coworkers were throwing. So that was a tough uh, getting ready moment for me (laughs) because it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I could just not go. And I'm sure they'd understand, but you know, you have to, life kind of moves on. Right. And that's what most people that live with grief understand is like, there's showers to go to and kids to take care of. And you kind of have to just kind of go along with it. So yeah. So before I had deep grief, I did not know how to talk to my friend, Rachel or anybody else. I was super tongue tied and it was just, you know, it made me feel so intimidated. And I think that's part of the people I wanted to reach with the book too, are people that maybe don't have deep grief in their life, but feel really intimidated or scared to trigger somebody because it can, it can be intimidating. That's why it's called so sorry for your loss. That's what everyone says. Right. So once I had this come into my life, it's it became much easier to talk to Rachel or anybody about grief. And I appreciate your little cheat sheets for people who might not know how to talk about it, yeah. words you should say, <laughs> words you shouldn't say. And even though this is sort of a very, very personal memoir that you spin it around to give some actionable tips for anybody who's perusing. Maybe back up for a minute and tell listeners a little bit about the story and what happened with your mom and your sister and why you decided to turn it into a book. Exactly. Now we were just talking about it, but yes. So the book is rooted in my experiences of my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2015 and she died in 2018. And then my little sister, Jackie suffered from alcoholism for years and years. um, And she died of alcoholism about two years after my mom. So it was very much the feeling when my sister died of I can't believe we're doing this again. Like it was, we were just emerging sort of from all the grief of my mom and and then this happened. And so it was two very profound losses back to back. And I didn't really write much about grief until about a year after my mom died. And I wrote an essay for the New York Times about our, we used to watch Hollywood red carpets and that's how we bonded. And so it was an essay about 
after she died, it was red carpet season. And so I was grappling with like, do I watch? Do I not watch? And it sounds frivolous, but it was very serious to me. I was like, is it going to destroy me? Is it insulting if I don't watch? Like, you know, all those things. And so the essay was about me watching and that, and then that becoming kind of a, a way for us to still bond, even though she's not here. And it was a weird feeling of like, oh my God, I'm in the New York Times, but I wish I didn't have to write this. And the book was a little bit that way too. But so I didn't think about writing a book until a couple months after Jackie died. And I think it was because when my mom died, I read amazing grief books and there are so many amazing ones. And when Jackie died, somebody sent me a book of quotes, like Zen quotes. And I kept just putting it down, like almost out of anger at night. Cause I was like, I don't want to be soothed. I don't want to read about like babbling Brooks and I want to be angry. And so the summer after she died, she died March 1st. So early that summer, I thought, you know what? Maybe I can write this book. It was kind of that Toni Morrison thing of like, if there's a book you want to read and it hasn't been written, go write it. And so it was kind of that feeling of like, I wanted to do part memoir, part reporting because I love reporting. I wanted humor in there because levity is very helpful when you're dealing with this these things. And so it was early that summer that I thought, okay, maybe I can add to the shelf. Wow. Does writing help you like process? I feel like writing always like helps me so mm. much. Like I realize what I'm thinking when I'm writing it yeah. down, like even though it was Definitely. obviously just circulating. Did you feel like a, get, getting through this whole process was sort of therapeutic in a way as well? It was definitely, I mean, you know, it's funny because th- there's that question of like, is it cathartic? Like, I don't think of it as cathartic, right? But I think of it as it definitely helped me process even just what grief is. Because one of my reasons I, I wanted to learn more about grief, right? I'm not an expert. I haven't studied this and researched this for years. I'm just an everyday person who lives with it. So I think the journalist in me was like, okay, if I'm going to live with this thing, let me just like face it down. He <laughs> just like get in the ring and like wrestle with it. And so it really was like, it. I loved interviewing people for the book because especially there's a chapter on, you know, parents who lost children, which I was very scared to write. I was so, I almost cut it. Thankfully, my editor was like, no, 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 you need to keep this in because I was really scared to talk to parents, right? It's, it's the most intimidating thing, but I'm so glad it's in there because I learned the most from them and seeing, you know, how they move through the world with their grief, I think is just, you know, it, it made the process really meaningful for me. And so it was tough for sure. There were a lot of like days of crying and just like going to watch my dog leap around to, to calm down. But I think the process helped me sort of just come to terms with grief, honestly, just by looking at it, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. Actually, you exposed me to a few new things about grief that I didn't know. And I love your use of, what did you call it? G-I-E-A, grief-induced yeah. emotional avalanche, the unpredictable pathway through grief, fraught with choices you don't want to make, full of firsts that results in a condition called this grief-induced emotional avalanche. It's a close cousin of heart sarns. Is that how you pronounce it? Heart I think sarnus? it's heart sarnus. Yeah, it's an old heart English sarnus. word. But additional symptoms include dizziness, confusion, anger, deep sighs, and maybe a few tears. I have yet to find a cure for GIEA. So I recommend supportive care, which may include taking a sick day to indulge in a good cry, online shopping for things you don't need, but that bring you joy, overpriced scented candles work wonders for me, a Bridgerton binge, a fast run, or a loving nap, whatever you need to do to get you through it. And you will get through it. Yep. I know. That's the thing. It's like, it just, it feels it does feel like an avalanche sometimes. Like that was one of the things about grief that really surprised me is like the physicality of it at the beginning. It thankfully gets better, but you know, it feels like an avalanche of all the feelings, right? It's confusion, it's anger, it's you're tired, you're, you know, it's just, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's just everything. 
until you just have to kind of get through those moments, really. Yeah. And as you wrote about, you know, the triggers can be, you know, one that is not talked about enough is when you see someone who looks just like mm-hmm. the person yeah. in the midst of an ordinary moment and you're, and it just like stops you in your tracks. It does. Yeah. I write about, cause my sister always dyed her hair, like any, sh- any bright shade of red you can imagine. So like copper burgundy. And so to this day, like when I see someone at a park or just see someone with any bright shade of red, like I really, my heart actually stops. Like it just, I, it forces me to just pause for a second. It's a really strange sensation that like, I don't think it'll ever go away actually. And you actually write about seeing your sister at one point in her sort of throes of alcoholism and actually not even not saying hello. Can you talk about that scene? That was really interesting. Yeah. So my sister's, you know, throughout the book, but there's one, that one chapter specifically about her. It was, it was probably the hardest to write because, you know, like I said, my sister suffered for years and I didn't write about her at all. Like it was too hard. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the grief, like grief you feel when someone's still alive. So I knew I wanted to start that chapter with that story because it was something I was ashamed of and that I didn't tell a lot of people, but what happened was we were living in New York at the same time. She was in Queens. I was in Brooklyn and I worked in Manhattan. You know, it had been a really tough couple months. Like she would flake on lunches and flake on dinners and wouldn't answer. And anyone who's loved someone who has alcoholism or substance abuse issues probably understands that feeling of just anxiety and like, why are they not calling me? And I was just a mess. So I was walking to work and I see her in the distance walking down Fifth Avenue, which is crazy. If anyone's been to New York, like that we would, that I would see her, we didn't even live near each other. And I didn't say anything and I just stopped and I just let her walk by and it like makes me sad to even think about it. But in the moment I knew that I was, I'm walking into work to like wait tables all night. And I was so upset that we hadn't seen each other that I was, I thought if I say something, it could trigger me and I'm going to go into work and be a mess. So I just let her pass by. And so it, it, it did, it haunted me for years. I never told her about that. And then, and I just put it in the book because I think it's an example of how hard those relationships can be and how complicated they can be. And you know, learning about, there's this term ambiguous loss that I talk about in the book that it's, we you know, the grief isn't triggered by a death. It's triggered by either, you know, a substance abuse issue, a dementia, a mental health issue where you're grieving them when they're here. And so learning about that was very helpful to me, but, but yeah, that moment was one of many tough ones with her. And just, I feel like it illustrated our relationship when she was drinking, not when she was sober. Yeah. Oh. And then her loss itself, you write about some of the circumstances of it and even the anger of mm-hmm. when you were confronting somebody who had seen her last and being like, yeah. okay, what is going on here? You know, yeah. because sometimes you, you can't have the answers and somehow mm-hmm. knowing the answers seems so important, yep. even though it doesn't change the outcome, but it just, and anyway, you had to go on sort of a search of why the mm-hmm. police did not contact you. What took them so long and da, da, da. Like, yeah. how do you feel now? And do you feel like you have some closure on that whole situation? That's a good question. I mean, I'll always wonder because, you know, just to explain for people who haven't read it that, you know, I think this happens with a lot of people who have substance abuse issues. They usually die alone. My sister was in a hotel, which I hate, (laughs) alone in Colorado. Like she hadn't lived there that long. We were in Texas. Well, I was in California. My parents were in Texas. And, you know, the police at first said they found her, but they didn't say she died. So we were like, okay, they found her. She'll get back into detox, detox. And then it was like hours later that they said that she was not alive. And then it, it, I went down a rabbit hole of like, what happened? Who was with her? You know, you just ask all these questions. Cause with my mom, we sat there 
every day of hospice, we held her hand. I knew exactly what happened, probably too much, (laughs) too much information. But with Jackie, it was, you know, it's a mystery. Like I don't ever want to see that hotel room, but I, I will always imagine it. So in that sense, I don't think there's closure, but there's closure in the sense that I'm not making the calls anymore. I'm not, I'm not asking people like what happened. I just accept the fact that that's, you know, she died in that hotel room. I'm not, I'm not ever really going to know exactly what her last day was like, but I do accept that part of it. And how is your, how is your dad? I found myself like having such affection for your dad and your other siblings. Like you really introduce us to not just the ones you've lost, but your whole family like becomes, you're all like a character. And obviously you're this close knit group. And I kind of wished I had more even like, this just sounds like creepy, but you know, like, you know, video footage of like the younger years where you're all like scampering about happy. And I like have this idyllic view of what it must've been like, you know, as you were all growing up and super close and this like perfect family. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so basically my, <laughs> my parents had four daughters. So we were, there was a lot of us and my dad, you know, he's so funny. He's, he's doing okay. Right. I mean, he's been through a lot, obviously he lost me and my parents were together since they were like 16. So this was the love of his life and then losing his child. And he is amazing. I mean, my dad went straight into grief therapy and he, he goes to his grief groups. I'm very proud of him because there was a moment we were worried, like when Jackie died, where he said, I don't think I'm going to get through this one, which is very scary to hear like your your remaining parents say. And so I was really scared that his personality would change or he'd retreat, but he has not done that. Like he still works, he golfs, he goes on dates, which is a whole other <laughs> saga, but he's actually, you know, he's doing well. I mean, he, he is changed and he has his moments of sadness, but we're very open about it, which you know, in the book I talk about, it's that's been very helpful for us. Is just, you know, and I interviewed my dad throughout the book, which brought us even closer because I would literally call him in the middle of a work day and be like, can you tell me about <laughs> this horrible moment? So, you know, he's doing okay. And, and I think he's, he thankfully has all the grief groups and all of that that give him a, a purpose to share his, you know, he likes to share his story and hear other people's, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> it does not sound. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Sound weird. When you mentioned other grief books that you turned to, what were some of your go-tos? What were the most helpful for you? I think, you know, your magical thinking, Joan Didion, which is, you know, kind of the go-to. I 
I got that after my mom died. I waited about six months to read it, but I thought it was beautiful. And you said it was like all one big quote. <laughs> like the whole book was like one. <laughs> I big know quote. the whole thing. I'm like, I should underline this whole thing, yeah. but I think I only underlined one thing, yes. but the whole thing is just, you know, I thought it was really beautiful. And I think the one I underlined, it was, I don't want to butcher it, but it was like, there are no faint traces about dead, no pencil marks. And I just felt like, okay, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I loved that. And more recently, I I read Rob Delaney's book, um, yes. A Heart That Works, which is very tough, but I loved it because I just, I loved that he was so angry, like mm-hmm. rightly so, but also so funny. So I thought that book was really beautiful. And I read C.S. Lewis's book. So, you know, there was just a lot out there that that helped. But the Zen quotes, I wasn't, I wasn't there for that at that moment. <laughs> Can you take me back to your, your professional life and your writing life, mm-hmm. like from the beginning and how you ended mm-hmm. up? in book form, but also all your journalism and all that? Sure. So I always wanted to write since like probably elementary school. I think I wrote like a stapled pages together and wrote a book about a horse or something like like a long time ago. So that was always the the thing. And I, my first paid writing job was I went to UCLA. So I worked for the Daily Bruin as a entertainment reporter. A friend of mine was like, we need someone. And I was like, I guess I can go to a, you know, round table with Sean Connery. Like I'm 19 (laughs) years old. It was a little bit intimidating, but so I did that. And it took me a lot of years. Like I, I focused on like movie, TV, entertainment writing for a long time, but I also waited many tables and had a lot of grunt jobs, like blogging for a lamp store, you name it. And it took me a while to get to the point where I could say, okay, I am a full-time writer. So journalism was always there, always had other jobs. And then around 2010, I was laid off from a film job and I was like, okay, I'm going to go full force here. And so I started blogging about being laid off. And that ended up being my first book, Brokenomics. And then I just got more and more into reporting, which I love. And so now what I do is I'm ghostwriter for celebrities. So that is kind of the base. And then that allows me to pitch, you know, I write for New York Times and Texas Monthly and Teen Vogue and all these places that I just adore writing for because it, it gives me a lot of freedom to just say, okay, this is interesting to me. Let me pitch it. Let me see if I can write about like women who race lawnmowers or some guy in the desert, like secretly growing yucca. So it's, it's pretty cool. And I feel very lucky to be here now that I can, you know, write about kind of whatever piques my interest, as long as an editor says, yes, <laughs> that's important. Can you share, or is it confidential the celebrities you write for? Yeah, I can share some of them. Um, so Chriselle Staus from Selling Sunset and Shep Rose, it's a lot of reality. Shep Rose, Let's see, Vanessa Lachey, who's mm-hmm. a sweetie. I mean, they're all actually really sweet. I'm not just, I'm not just saying that. Who else can I say? I think that's all I can I say. I read her book. Did you really? Because yeah. she was going to come on the podcast and then it, like scheduling, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what happened, but I had already read it. So Yeah, no, she's a sweetie. And then there's two that I'm working on now, but I can't say. So, but yeah, so it's, it's, I like it. I think it's an interesting process and it's fun for me to have somebody come in and be like, I, they're, they're usually very intimidated by the book process. So I kind of hold their hand through the the whole thing. So It's interesting. So meanwhile, all this loss and all this writing and everything, and you have your son, Cole, who you write about. So it's not like you're just in your own single-minded path. You've got your mothering through the whole thing. Tell me a little bit about, you know, we have this podcast and social media thing called Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve because Mm -hmm. it feels like it can be very hard to find the space to have the emotions, how, you know, not like you have to have one theory of parenting through loss, but how did it end up? And what did you, did you have a view on what you were trying to do? Sharing versus not sharing, you know? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love moms don't have time to grow. I think that's perfect. Perfectly said. (laughs) 
because we don't often. <laughs> I think, you know, it was, you know, I write about this in the book, but in, during my mom's hospice, I was very lucky because my husband had my son and I could take, you know, 10 days off work. But I was really scared that I was not going to be able to be a mom to him. Like, I just felt like my emo- I'm so depleted. And this was in the throes of it, right? So in the throes of it, I was so depleted. I was scared that I wouldn't even want to hold him. Like he was 13 months old. So it was, it was kind of frightening. Luckily when they came, I was all about him and you know, that he helped, you know, he helped me. Like he, he gave me something to love and focus on and, you know, gave back a lot of love. And then it's been interesting because now he's five and a half. And so I've watched him sort of grapple with death because my mom's gone, my sister's gone. And I try to be honest with him. You know, I've talked to people about what to say, what not to say. Like, you're supposed to say, you're not supposed to say like, they're flying in the clouds. You know, like you're supposed to say, you know, they died and you can still say they're with you all the time or whatever you want. But it's been really interesting sort of going through it with him. And because he asked me questions like, well, what happened? He called her Cece. Like, what happened to Cece? Where is she? And, you know, so I'll try to say, well, she died, but she's always with us. And and then he'll start saying, well, what's a soul? And I'm like, that is beyond my... (laughs) I don't know how to explain this kid, but so it's been, you know, we talk about it as much as he'll bring it up, you know, so I try to be honest with him, but, and it is sweet. I found like a way to keep my mom and sister alive. Cause that's one thing I learned in grief is like your relationship doesn't end with the person, right? Not in like a woo woo kind of way, but like you can keep them in your life. You can talk to them, you can have rituals. So one way I keep him in my life is I tell Cole stories all the time. I'm like, well, you know, CC loved this or Jackie did this. And, and that's a way for him to know them a little bit. Like he, one thing I told him is my mom and grandmother, like would always say, don't leave the house without chip with chip nail polish. Right. That was like their thing, their little Texas thing. And so now when he sees me have chip nail polish, which is a, a lot, <laughs> can't seem to keep it on. He'll say like, Oh, CC would, you know, CC wouldn't like that. And, and I'm like, that's so sweet. He kind of like knows a bit of her personality. So, so one thing I learned is like telling a lot of stories is helpful for both you and the kid, right? Because you can feel connected and then they can understand them a little bit. So that's been helpful for us. We have like little signs for people in our lives that we've lost for the Mm -hmm. kids. And I mean, I really, I mean, it sounds woo-woo, but I do kind of believe in all of that. And so my husband's mother died from COVID, even though she was really healthy and young and everything. And today is actually one of my kids' birthdays. And it was raining and then the sun started coming out and I was like, oh, you know, her sign is rainbows. I was like, oh, you know, the weather is like this because, you know, mm-hmm. treats is trying to come out and, and yep. wish a happy birthday. And yeah. um, anyway, my husband like started crying when I said that. Aww, I was like, oh, so I didn't mean it like in a bad, in a bad <laughs> I know. No, that's sweet. I believe, I believe in that too, for sure. Like if I, sometimes if I see a butterfly, I'm like, it's easy, you know, like it's just nice to have those little moments, you know, for whatever that is for you. I think it's sweet. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry about your mother. No, that's okay. I mean, keeps people you love like top of mind for the kids too. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that's very tangible. Yes. So aside from your two ghostwriting projects that are coming up, what, Mm -hmm. what else are you up to? What are you excited about? And yeah. And how do you feel now that this is sort of in the world? I feel, you know, it's funny. The day it came out was a strange feeling. And I talked to Wendy Aarons, my friend, about this because she had a memoir come out in the fall. It's like you, you're you prepared for it, but then it goes in the world and it's like, whoa, whoa, my family's life, <laughs> like our whole life's out there. So it's been a great couple of months. It comes out in the UK actually next week, which is pretty exciting. And so it's been, it's been amazing having it out there, getting messages from people that are so touching, like 
you know, just saying how the book has helped them, which is just very meaningful for me. But so I'm continuing to write, you know, and pitch articles. I'm working on something for Texas Monthly. I'm really excited about that has to do with grief. (laughs) And then I'm thinking about book three. So I'm brainstorming what that would be. And it's kind of based off, I wrote a, I don't know if you know Mother Tongue Magazine. So I wrote something that's in their, their spring issue about my great aunt. Basically, I uncovered a family secret that my great aunt burned down her ex-husband's house because he was abusive in the 40s and she did it three times. <laughs> so she was like this little badass. And then you would never know it because it was a family secret. And she just got married and had a kid and kind of kept it hidden. So it's kind of loosely based on her story, um, but it would still be nonfiction. So that's what I'm tinkering around with. Awesome. Do you have advice for aspiring authors? Let's see. I think, you know, I think one that you hear a lot is, you know, keep at it, which is very true, but for me, one of the things that's been very helpful through this career, which can have so many ups and downs. And, and like I said, it took me a lot of waiting tables to get here. I would say be very open-minded and versatile about the kind of writing you'll do. So along the way, like I wrote comic books, which I never in a million years thought I would do. Like I said, I blogged for a lamp store, which was not glamorous, but whatever. I've worked in you know film and TV. I've done different kinds of journalism. So I would just be pretty, and now you can, I mean, there's branded content. There's so much to be open to. So I would not be too limiting about, okay, I want to be a novelist. I'm only writing fiction short stories. Like if you want to be a writer, I would just try and be versatile. I think that would be my advice. Love it. Amazing. Great. Well, Dina, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for, you know, I mean, I I will not be able to watch any Academy Award shows from now on without thinking about you and your mom. So I only think of you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I love the podcast. So it's, you know, it's been really fun. Oh, good. All right. I look forward to meeting you in Austin. (laughs) Yes, I can't wait. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.